There is no other book of the Bible that is quoted as often in other places in Scripture as the book of Genesis. Jesus often said, have you not read from the beginning? And so we go back to these very foundational chapters. In our culture today, we need to understand the book of Genesis, because if we do not, we are not going to understand the rest of Scripture. Last week we looked at the temptation of Adam and Eve. We pick up at verse 8 this morning of Genesis chapter 3. A grace abounded more, or sin abounded, God's grace abounded more. We pick up at chapter 3 then, verse 8. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the, in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me from the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord said to the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you will go, and and dust you will eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your pain and childbirth, and pain you will bring forth children. Yet your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken, for you are dust and to dust you shall return. Now the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil, and now he might stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. So he drove the man out, and at the east of the garden of Eden he stationed the cherubim and the flaming sword, which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. Let's bow in prayer. Father, these are words that you have given to us by the inspiration of your Spirit. And we pray, Lord, that you would teach us today, that you would show us that where sin abounded, grace abounded more. You gave the wonderful promise of a Savior that would crush the head of the serpent 
Jesus, who would take on human flesh, take our sins all the way to the cross, die for us, and rise again. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the hope that we have because of you this day, for we pray in your name. Amen. When we look at the fall into sin, it is very easy to see the judgment of God. There's pain in childbirth, there are thorns and thistles, work becomes difficult, and there is death for all mankind. But if you look closely at this chapter, you will see many ways that God poured out His grace upon Adam and Eve. In Romans chapter 5, verse 20, Paul says, Where sin abounded, grace abounded more. And I would suggest to you that there are at least four ways in which we see the grace of God here in the midst of this sin, disobedience to Him, where God poured out His grace upon Adam and Eve. Notice, first of all, that God was the one who confronted Adam's sin. Prior to the fall, it must have been a wonderful time of fellowship for Adam and Eve. There was no sin in this world. And just think of that relationship they had with God. The joy of, of meeting with the Lord there in the garden and fellowship with Him. But when sin came into the world, it changed everything. Adam and Eve didn't want to be near to God, and so they tried to hide from Him. Verse 8 says that they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. As if they could hide from God. It seems to me that sin had already affected their, their thinking, that they would somehow believe that they could actually hide from God, but that's what they were trying to do. And God could have simply let them experience the consequences of their sin forever, and He would have been perfectly just in doing so, but He didn't. While they were hiding from Him, God was seeking for them. Verse 9 says, Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? Not as if God didn't know where they were, as if God is saying, I know you're somewhere, hiding behind some tree, where are you? It wasn't that at all. Adam, where are you? Where are you in relationship to me? What have you done? Have you disobeyed me? Where are you, Adam? And so God was the one that was seeking for them. And that's what the Bible teaches us, does it not, from Genesis all the way through Revelation, that God is the one who takes the initiative to seek for us, not we for Him, because we don't seek Him by nature, do we? Psalm 14 puts it this way, verses 2 and 3. It says, The Lord looked down from heaven upon the sons of men to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. Here's what he found. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. So God surveyed all of mankind. Is there anyone who seeks me? And by nature the answer is no, we do not. We run from Him. But God in His mercy and His grace seeks for us. 
Luke 19.10, what did Jesus say the day he met Zacchaeus? He said, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And if you are saved today, it's because Jesus and His mercy was seeking for you. Aren't you thankful for that, that we have a God that seeks for us? There was a young boy that was asked one day, did you have a part in your salvation? And he said, I certainly did. And the man said, well, what was that? He said, I did all the running and God did all the chasing. (laughs) The hound of heaven, God is seeking for us. And if you don't know Jesus today, He is seeking for you. He wants to pour out His grace upon you. If you're willing to acknowledge your sin and put your trust in Jesus. As you read on in the text, you see even further what sin did to Adam's nature. Not only did he hide from God, but when confronted with sin, he played the blame game. Verse 10. God says, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. And God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And the first thing Adam does is, well, it's this woman that you, you gave me. And we might think that Adam is blaming Eve and there's a certain sense in which he is. But it's really worse than that because Adam is, is really pointing a finger at God, isn't he? He's saying, the woman that you gave me, you're the one that gave me this woman. As if to say, if you wouldn't have given me this woman, I wouldn't have done this. It's not my fault, it's her fault, and it's your fault. You can see how sin had affected Adam's nature. And so while Adam is pointing his finger at God and pointing his finger at Eve, then Eve starts pointing her finger at the serpent. It wasn't my fault. He deceived me, and I... Eight. We see the same thing in our culture today, don't we? No one wants to take responsibility. Republicans say it's the Democrats' fault. Democrats say it's the Republicans' fault. Presidents say it's the Congress's fault. Congress says it's the President's fault. Husband says it's the wife's fault. Wife says it's the husband's fault. And there is this constant unwillingness to admit that we have sinned and we need To confess and repent. And so the blame game. But if we're ever going to deal with our sin, we need to be confronted with our sin. And God in His grace does that. And just as God confronted Adam and Eve, He confronts us today with our need. Why? Because He loves us. And we need to realize that we need a Savior. That Jesus has come To set us free. So God poured out His grace upon Adam by confronting Adam's sin. Notice, secondly, God not only confronted Adam's sin, God cursed Adam's enemy. After Eve pointed her finger at Satan, God brought a word of judgment for Satan, verses 14 and 15. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, Cursed are you more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you will go, and dust you will eat all the days of your life. And then in verse 15 we see this promise, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, 
and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. And so this word of judgment that was given to Satan is also a word of promise, a word of grace, a word of salvation for Adam and Eve. Here is the first promise in Scripture of a Savior. And notice there's three stages of battle here, or three parts of this battle. The first is is a battle between Eve and Satan. God said to the serpent, I will put enmity between you, Satan, and the woman. And perhaps Satan thought he now had Eve as his faithful ally, but God said that was not going to happen. They would not be friends. They would be enemies. So that's the first part of that battle. And then we have this second part of the battle between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. And this picture is the ongoing battle that's taking place even today between those who love the Lord and those who don't, believers and unbelievers. Because Jesus made it clear in John 8, verse 44, that those who do not believe in Him, Jesus said, you are children of the devil. And you do what your father did. He's a liar from the beginning. And so within this world, there are two families. There's there's the family of God and there's the family of Satan. And there is opposition, isn't there? And I'll tell you what, as we look at our culture today, there is opposition, isn't there? There's a battle between light and darkness. And those of us who know Jesus as our Savior, we are the object of persecution, and it is only going to get worse. It's only going to get worse. It really isn't a matter of tolerance, as we hear in our culture today. They don't want tolerance. They want to defeat us. They want to destroy us. And so the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman, there would be this battle, and it exists today as it existed from the beginning of sin. But the third part of this battle is the one that we rejoice in. And we have this picture then of Jesus as crushing the head of the serpent. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. So there's the promise that Jesus would defeat the evil one. He would defeat Satan. He would take our sins to the cross, and and He would pay the price for us. And that's where Satan was defeated. We have even another picture of the cross A little bit later in the chapter, in verse 21, where it says, The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. They had tried to cover themselves with fig leaves, but God covered them with animal skins. Blood had to be shed. Another picture of of our Savior, the Lamb of God, who would come to take away the sin of the world. So in cursing... Adam's enemy, God provided a Savior where sin abounded, grace abounded more. Notice thirdly, God poured out His grace by chastening Adam's home life. Very interesting how you notice that when sin came into the world, there were three ways in which affected Adam's home life. 
The first is the bearing of children. In verse 16, God said to the woman, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. And so because of sin, the intrinsically joyous area of a mother's life was invaded by pain. And if you've ever given birth to a baby, mothers, you know exactly what, what that's about. And then we have marriage affected by the fall. God said to Eve, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. And the word desire is the same word we find in chapter 4, verse 7, where God is speaking to Cain and he's telling him that sin desires to to rule over you. And so there would be a battle in, in relationships, in marriages. There's... There's strife, isn't there? Hopefully it's not a daily, ongoing strife, but in every marriage, even a Christian marriage, there are those times when, you know, you're not totally happy with your spouse. Huh? Strife. That came because of the fall. And then also notice Adam's working life. Verse 17 describes the ground being cursed. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles will grow for you. You will eat the plants of the field. And by the sweat of your brow you will eat bread until you return to the ground. And so sin would impact Eve in her domain of being a mother and a wife. And sin would impact Adam in his domain of providing for his family. And life would not be easy for either of them. And yet, as strange as this may seem, would we not also see God's grace in this? The pain that we experience in life is what God uses us to drive us to Himself. Moms, when you were in labor, did you think of your need for Jesus? Lord, help me. <laughs> that drive you to the Lord? Married couples, when you're facing uh, struggles in your relationship, does that not bring you to your knees? God, help us. Dads, as you're struggling to provide bread for your family, does not that drive you to your knees? God, help me. Our Kent Hughes says, These punishments are God's graces. Marriage alone will give no woman all that she wants. Mothering is fraught with pain from birth onward. A man's work doesn't completely satisfy. He says this is a grace because it will drive the willing soul to seek God. And we need that, don't we? There are times when we think, you know, I'm fine without the Lord, but I'll tell you what, God brings trouble into our lives and we begin to realize, as we sung this morning, I need you. Every hour, I need you. And so even these disciplines that God brought to Adam and Eve were, were part of His grace to drive them to Himself. And notice finally how God exiled Adam's family Verse 22, Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. And now he might stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and live forever. And so God 
exiled them from the garden. He put a flaming sword to guard the way to the tree of life. And I remember looking at that and I thought, well, why wouldn't he want them to have the tree of life, live forever? And the reason why this was an act of God's mercy is that God did not want them to live forever in a sinful condition. They needed to be set free from their sin. They needed a Savior. Jesus must come to remove that curse, pay the price for their sin, remove its condemnation. And that's exactly what Jesus did. So that Adam and Eve and you and I would not live forever in a sinful condition, but live as God had created us to be. Holy and righteous because of Jesus. And so as we read the book of Revelation, we see that what was lost in Adam is restored in Jesus. What was lost in Genesis is restored in Revelation. And you need to read these books side by side because they fit so well together. In Genesis, the ground was cursed. In Revelation, there is no more curse. In Genesis, Adam returned to dust. In Revelation, there is no more death. In Genesis, there were coats of skin to cover them. In Revelation, it's the fine linen, white and clean. In Genesis, it is Satan opposing. In Revelation, it is Satan banished. In Genesis, they are kept from the tree of life. In Revelation, they have access to the tree of life. In Genesis, they are banished from the garden. In Revelation, they have free access to the new Jerusalem. In Genesis, we have a Redeemer promised. In Revelation, we have redemption accomplished. So I want to ask you today, have you accepted what Jesus has done for you? Have you experienced His wonderful grace as sin abounds in this world and as sin abounds sometimes in our life? Isn't it good news, good to know that grace abounds more? Joni Yoder tells of a young man, poorly adjusted, He had come to Jesus during an evangelistic crusade. And several days later, he he came to her church and they helped disciple him and helped him grow in his faith. And, And she says that Tim needed and received much loving help in things like personal grooming and basic social graces. But she said there was one characteristic about him that remained unchanged, his untamed love for Jesus. She says, one Sunday after church, Tim rushed to my side, looking somewhat perplexed. And he said, why me? I keep asking myself, why me? (laughs) And her immediate thought was, oh no, here's another complaining Christian, huh? You know, why me? Why me? That wasn't at all what he was saying. With arms outstretched, he went on to say, out of all the people in the world who are greater and smarter than I am, why did God choose me? Ever pondered that? You who know Jesus today, ever pondered that? Why was God so gracious to me? Why did God continue to seek for me? 
Why did God bring me to that place where I, I saw my need for a Savior and He showed me that, that in Christ there is forgiveness and there is peace? Why me? We are so undeserving. But that's what grace is. Where sin abounds, grace abounds more. And I pray that you've experienced that today. That you can say you know Jesus Christ as your Savior. That you realize that you are sinful and you are worthy of judgment, but you have recognized that Jesus died for you. And you've come to Him in simple trust, receiving that gift of of eternal life that Jesus paid for, for you. Where sin abounded, grace abounded more. May that be your experience today. And if not, I invite you to come to Jesus. Come to Him. Jesus said, the one who comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. To as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to be called the children of God, even to those who believe on His name. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we need You today. We are guilty like Adam and Eve were guilty. We have sinned in thought, in word, in deed. We have sinned by not doing what we know we ought to do. But You loved us so much that You were willing to come to this world of sin and take on human flesh. Pay the price for our sin. We thank You, Lord, that there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Thank You, Lord, for what You've done for us. And may we go on our way rejoicing today that where sin abounded, grace abounded more. For we pray in Your precious name. Amen.